You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Uh, this is our second message of three messages. We're breaking it down so that we talk about one hour of each of our new services. Okay, So in our new service, 9 o'clock is breakfast. We're building the cereal bar. We're getting that up and going. 10 o'clock is our service, which is what we'll be talking about today. And then the 11 o'clock is the kingdom time. So be it praying for people, doing deliverance ministry, counseling, clothes, toiletries, um, uh, food banks, things like that, and so on. These are the main components of this. So last week we talked about why we eat together, and we gave a a big list as to why that is. I'm not going to go through the whole thing right now, but just to kind of recap. One, Jesus did evangelism and ministry by eating with people. Two, the early church ate together pretty much all the time when they gathered um, as a way to remember that they were all at the same lunch table. They were all the same uh, person, cut from the same loaf, poured from the same wine glass. And then three, communion was always integrated into their meals together, which is the same thing that we'll be doing. Um, and Brian raised some good points about that like as to how communion will go. Uh, is it open to everybody? What, what happens from there? Uh, we'll have kind of some more details on that. But the beautiful thing about the communion portion for you is you really get to be the hands and feet of Christ in those moments. So uh, there will most likely be a table where there will be a sign explaining, you know, come grab this if you're a Christ follower. If you have questions, talk to someone at your table who's already partaking of it today and they can explain it. And that's a great chance for you to naturally, organically, without pressure, just kind of get in the conversation. Why do you keep eating that every time that we get it? Oh, well, Jesus said that this is his body, this is his blood. It reminds us that we're all on same equal ground with Christ when we eat and drink it. And it reminds us of the past that he shed his blood for us. It reminds us of the present that we're all the on the same level as children of God. And it reminds us of the future where we'll eat this again with him in his presence. So... It's a very simple, easy way. So that was what we got into last week. This week we talk about service, the service element. Why do we still have service? I mean, here at 1208, we've created quite a few unique versions of church. We've done nerd church. We've done an online church. We've experimented with uh, some other ideas that we were tossing around before COVID hit as some other kinds of churches we could plant. Why do we still have a service? Like if we can think outside the box and be unique, Do we need to have someone preaching? Do we need to have someone uh, leading music? Is that what church is? What exactly is church? And this has been a question that has been on the mind of a lot of uh, church planters over the last probably five to ten years is when it really started cooking up. There's a conference that I get to go to. I've been to it three or four times. Casey joined me for it once out in Florida. It's called Exponential Uh, which uh, Free Methodist Church has put a lot of focus on over the years because they're really interested in church planting. What does it look like to plant a church? Therefore, what does a church have to look like to plant a church? 
Because we're outside the box here at 1208. A lot of times we have thrown our hats in on things that have confused people as to what, you know, like what's in their church, things like that. Why do we do that? So here's the question that everybody asks in order to plant churches. What is the ecclesial minimum as to what a church is? In other words, ecclesial. You can almost hear it in the uh, Spanish word for church. Iglesia. The ecclesial, the iglesia, the church minimum. What is the bare minimum that a church needs to do to in fact be a church? So take five minutes at your table. And if you've got no one at your table, group up with someone else. Uh, but talk about it. What is the bare minimum that you have to do in a church to be considered a church? At what point are you just a social group? At what point are you a church? Go ahead and take a few minutes and think about that. Show of hands really quick because I accidentally wrote the question different than I just asked it. Who just answered the question as to what a bare minimum to be a church is? Hands up. And who just answered the question of a bare minimum of what a church service looks like? Okay, let's start with the first one then. Uh, bare biblical minimum as to what a church is specifically without like even thinking fully in terms of service. We are churches, people. Yep. What else? Casey? According to the book of discipline. <laughs> this is cheating. No, it's not. It's a resource. The church is the people of God chosen for a purposeful partnership in accomplishing the will of God on earth. Very good. Very good. There you go. Don't have to be in a building. Yep. And our conference has pushed really hard on that over the last few years. Is to stop thinking buildings. What else? What'd you say, churches? <laughs> research. Yeah. What else do you come up with at your table? What's the bare minimum? Anything nobody else hit on? More than one person. More than one person getting together to do what the church is supposed to do. That's good. Yeah. Anybody else got anything else to add really quick? Anybody feed into the service aspect? What does a church maybe need to do when it gathers to be a church and not a social club? During the service. During the service. I'm just more specific now since we kind of hit on different things. Uh, I'm going to share from so Brian Saunders, who looks like Negan from The Walking Dead for some reason. Um, he shares <laughs> in his book uh, what their ecclesial minimum is. So this guy ended up uh, kind of redefining, like, what is a church? What is the bare thing that we have to do to be a church? And uh, Here's what they came up with before they planted hundreds of micro churches, kind of like what we did with nerd church and things like that. 
Uh, he said, we knew that the underground's ecclesiology had to be simple because we wanted to value the microchurch as the most basic expression of the church. By making a small church part of our definition of church, we opened the possibility for more churches, more contextualized churches to form, like Nerd Church. We concluded that when Christians work together in sincere worship and genuine community to accomplish a part of the mission of God, they function as a church. Uh, I think Casey kind of read that out of the Book of Discipline. (laughs) Marie also gave voice to that same idea right there. Worship, community, and mission, then, are the ecclesial minimum. This means that the church can include more elements, but not less. I'm going to read that again. Worship, community, and mission are the ecclesial minimum. Churches can include more elements, but not less. All right, so uh, I don't know if you can see this, but see these three circles at the bottom? Does that look familiar to anybody? (laughs) If you've been at 1208 long enough, this was more or less our old idea. The words that we used were like commission, community, and communion. Yeah, so it's communion with God, worship. Commission to the world, service, and then uh, community being with one another. This is generally where a lot of churches have landed. These elements have to happen for a church to be a church. Guess what our new church model looks like? We gather together to eat, community. We sing and learn, worship. And then we serve one another, commission. The bare elements as to what a church needs to be is what we have built our entire new gatherings around. So then the next question becomes like what within a church service? Like if we're going to worship God, what are the ways in which we worship God? And I could have you break out at your tables to do that. What time is it? My watch isn't working right. Does anybody have the time? 6.50. We're not going to break out in tables for Instead, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 14. If you want to join me, um, there's two ways you can go about this. You can read it along with me, or you can pull out a paper or note on your notes app, and I want you to write down while I'm talking what kind of things belong in a church service. Because in the Bible, we don't get a lot of glimpses as to what a church service looked like. I mean, we have a general feeling that as churches were created throughout um, the ancient world, that people just hosted them in their houses. Uh, After Lydia got saved, after Paul had brought her to Christ, it's possible we catch a glimpse that Lydia, who seemed to be pretty well off financially, probably opened up her probably big house to then host a church so that people could gather. It didn't always look like going to buildings Sometimes it might have been that, uh, just depending on how the gospel moved in certain areas. Uh, But for the most part, they would uh, probably just gather to do the very things that we just talked about. Commission, community, and communion. So 1 Corinthians 14, write down what you see. I'm going to read a bunch of it. And I want to hear what kind of things you see from a biblical perspective, what belongs in a service or a gathering. And I said 14, didn't I? I meant 
56? Oh, I did mean 14. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Here we go. Write down the bullet points. What belongs in a church service? Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in his spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. The one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as a flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and a speaker, the foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. All right, let's pause right there. That was a lot about tongues and prophecy, sorry. What did you see in that, though, that between Paul saying what to do and what not to do, what goes into church and what doesn't? Anybody? Love. Love is kind of crucial to what church does, right? In fact, one of the letters in Revelation to one of the churches, is it sounds like they're doing great. Like, wow, you guys got this together. And then all of a sudden, God just comes down on them. Jesus is like, you don't love like you used to, though. And if you don't start loving like you used to, I'm going to take your lampstand away. Pretty big deal. Paul, the next passage, 1 Corinthians 15 or the passage before one or the other, is the whole love passage. This whole, if I speak in the tongues of angels, but have not love, I gain nothing. I'm a resounding gong. Love has to be crucial. We could do a really cool commission, community, communion service. If we don't love, the whole thing's pointless. If we don't treat people with dignity and respect when they come in here, the whole thing's pointless. So, yeah, love, crucial. What else? Instruction could be little as five words. Is that a point we were trying to say right there? <laughs> no, 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 I'm just saying that, you know, yeah. sometimes we do feel led on Sunday to just worship. You know, we've done that before. Mm. Just whatever the Spirit leads you to do is what is the service. Yeah. What the Spirit leads you to do. 
Yeah. So Leora said, um, for anyone who can't hear, Instruction can be short, and then Marie pointed out spirit-led service as well. Yeah, so let me pause there for a second. The reason Paul talks so much about tongues is because the church in Corinth was deeply confused on a lot of levels. <laughs> but one of the levels was this. And it's a level that people get into all the time. If I have the gift of tongues, and I can practice a supernatural thing, then the Holy Spirit must be in the gift of tongues. Therefore, if I'm going to church, I should probably use it. And so what the church in Corinth was seeing happen was chaos. Somebody would get up because the church was very free-flowing, follow the Spirit. Hey, does anybody have a message that God has put on their heart that they want to share? So imagine someone getting up in this home gathering and said, Yes, the Holy Spirit has a message on my heart right now. And imagine them just going on for like 20 minutes. This is like the dysfunction of Corinth. <laughs> well, I got to do this because the Holy Spirit gave me the gift. And Paul's like, yeah, it's a great gift. I actually speak in tongues more than any of you. But guys, let's bring order to the gifts. Did anybody understand what I just said? No. <laughs> the most of what I've usually seen with tongues is when I'm doing a deliverance, it really makes the demons angry when I do it. So I use it then, especially. Or if I don't know how to pray, I do it. Or if I'm worshiping and I don't know what words to give, I do it then. But Paul's like, let's bring it into order. Tongues are great, it's a gift of the Spirit. But you know what's greater? Prophecy. Why prophecy? Because people understand what you say when you prophesy. <laughs> And so Paul's like, if you're going like, to choose a gift of the Spirit to practice in front of everybody else, do the one that makes sense. Maybe you've seen it before, where a, a spiritual gift truly is practice, but its context doesn't serve it well. That's essentially what Paul's getting at. So Paul's big on order. Uh, not, not order in a sense that it's constricting, but order in a sense that it makes sense. And this is one example of, of where he gets into that. Yeah, Casey. He also apparently doesn't like flutes or harps, but apparently he likes brass. But in saying that, he likes clear instructions or clarity in what they say. Yeah, so short and to the point, he was fine with, as well as like things need to make distinct sounds serve their purpose. And you have to understand, in the early church, it really was free-flowing. Do you remember when we tried this out here for like two months, but it was awkward because nobody really fed the, the situation, our services? Hey, who's got a song they want to sing? That's how they did it in the early church. Someone come with a hymn. What hymn do you want to sing? Let's do it. We're not used to that in our contextualization of church, and so it was weird for us. But for them, it was this free-flowing, I've got a song in my heart. We do that at Spare Um. When we gather on Wednesdays, I usually started with what's already going on in your heart so we can like lean into that. Uh, Kayla came in a few days ago and she said, wind. It's like, oh yeah, we can work with that. And then we just immediately kind of moved into this wind, which then progressed into songs about the Holy Spirit, since spirit and wind and breath are all the same word in the Bible. Uh, the music that day was inspired off of an inner feeling as to what the Spirit was doing in someone's heart. It was a communal effort. 
And so the early church was communal. That's why they had to say, speak in tongues when it makes sense, teach when it makes sense, prophesy when it makes sense, because it was everybody's ability to be able to take the mic. And Paul, of course, um, he saw an understanding as to how to make that work too. He's gonna talk later about how prophets should prophesy one by one. And the idea was like, you already have people in your church who have been gifted with the gift of prophecy. Make sure that they speak into what's happening because the mic gets passed around so much. They might need to bring correction to, no, that's not really what the spirit is, is saying right now. So trusted leaders uh, shows up as well. Before we keep going, anything else? Mm. Yep. Building up consolation. Uh, he tells us too, like these are aspects of what prophecy does. That if we're really prophesying over each other, yeah, prophetic words can be intense, but a lot of times prophetic words are going to console someone. They're going to build them up. They're going to encourage them. So, yeah, Paul sees uh, um, these more of these aspects of comfort within that aspect of love going on. What else? Anything we missed in those first few? Good. It's a good first start there. Let's read a little bit more. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law, it is written by people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people and even they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Well, prophecy is a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, He's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. All right, what did you catch in that paragraph? Anything? Yeah. So in some context here, I don't know if they were meeting in houses or if they were meeting somewhere else, but they had an expectation that someone might stumble into your church or somebody at least might have invited a friend. And Paul was concerned. If you guys all just get up here and speak in tongues, they're going to think you're insane because <laughs> they're not going to have the slightest idea of what you're saying. In fact, in a lot of like that probably would have sounded similar to some of like the ancient cults perhaps where um, kind of working yourself up into a spiritual fanatic frenzy was uh, um, kind of like a confusing sign as to what God was doing uh, or what their gods were, were doing in all these other cults and religions so for example in the Old Testament uh, Baal, when the prophets the false prophets want to worship the false god Baal, does anybody remember what they do? They cut themselves, they go crazy. They, what Paul says here, mine oh my, mine oh my. Paul says, uh, what was it? Uh, 
I lost the exact expression. But when they come in and they see you being crazy, like they're going to think you're mine oh mine. They're going to think like you've lost it. Paul didn't want the church to look like that. <laughs> and I have been in churches like that in some of my charismatic uh, upbringing. And I will say there are appropriate times for that, but there are other times where uh, God gets lost in the translation of the frenzy. Um, if you're at an event that is like specifically for Christians and God is outpouring on you, there are times where you just you can't control that. God's just going to do what he's going to do. Um, likewise, the uh, uh, Methodist church was born out of some things that the people sounded like frenzies. John Wesley would be preaching and the Holy Spirit would come on people and they'd all fall to the ground. This is why people came to see what these revivals were all about. Like, what is... Is this stuff real? It sounds like people are just losing their minds. And they come and they actually would be saved by that. So like there is a time and space for that, but Paul wanted to make sure that they didn't just get caught up in it. Because uh, I've been to that before too, where one time we were worshiping for like, we must have worshiped in this church for like an hour straight. And the worship leader, I was in the band, and even I didn't know where we were going anymore. They just kept pushing everybody. Come on, get crazier, get crazier. I was like, they're losing their minds. They are mine oh mine. We don't need to be any crazier than we are. And so you just see these people like, okay, ah! like running around the church screaming because apparently they're standing in place screaming still wasn't enough. And at the end, I remember going to my friend just be like, what, what were we doing? <laughs> like, I just really felt like something needed to break off people. And like, they, they just weren't getting there. I'm like, I, I think all you made them think they needed to do was be insane to do that. I think they might have missed the point there. So Paul understood, yeah, there's a point where our mind oh my gets out of control. People will come in and be confused. But as Jody said, some people might walk in. Uh, the early church was seeker-friendly in that case. Paul was like, make sure you put on a seeker-friendly church so that when they walk in, you can go and prophesy the inner parts of their hearts over them. Ooh, you know, like our understanding of seeker friendly is I have coffee and I have seats that got cup holders and we play some secular jams that make you feel comfortable. Whereas Paul's understanding of seeker friendly was like, oh, did a new person walk in? Disclose the secrets of their hearts to them. <laughs> So that they get saved. They will fall on their face and be like, I don't know how you knew that. You shouldn't have known that. Oh, that's the Holy Spirit, friend. <laughs> so Paul, whatever he meant by mine oh my, it wasn't prophesying over a random person that entered the room. That was acceptable in his eyes. Uh, he goes on. I know we're over, so I'll just wrap it up. What then, brothers, when you come together, make sure you write this down. A few more points here. Each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. So he was okay with tongues, as long as someone could interpret it. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God, so they can use tongues in a different manner. Let two or three prophets speak, let others weigh what is said, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. 
And we'll stop there. Uh, what else did you catch? What goes in a church service? Hymns, some music or poetry, songs. Lesson. Lesson. There's teaching. In this case, a lot of different people were teaching. It sounded like, hey, maybe you came to church. What was on your heart? Teach it. Yeah. What else? That all would be encouraged. All would be encouraged. Nobody's left out. Yeah, his whole point on tongues was like, you can do it if you can find a way to make it make sense. So go up to someone. Do you understand what I said? I did not. Okay, well, it would be pointless for me to take up everybody's time <laughs> before I get rambling for 20 more minutes. Right. It says revelation. Revelation is like a unveiling of something within the spirit. So not just like a, a teaching, like somebody studied the Bible and brought it, but it's like the Holy Spirit warmed their heart to a kind of teaching. There are different kinds of teachings. Um, uh, there's a teaching of those, even in the Bible, who lived in the scholarly world. Their names were the scribes or Pharisees. They were like teachers. Um, and they were the ones who did all this studying and their college education of their time. Whereas uh, Revelation was different. Maybe you've heard the difference before uh, when you've gone to different churches. There's like the, I really studied deep into the Bible to bring about something so you know something more about it. And then there's the, the Holy Spirit really warmed my heart while I was reading this passage. And I want to share with you what he put on my heart. Those are different. You are going to see moments where Paul, especially in the book of Romans, is like pure theology. Let me just bring all of what God has been doing throughout the ages. Quote the scriptures, help you understand it. But then there's also um, there's also Paul who's like quoting passages out of context because the spirit warmed his heart to see it in a light that he wouldn't have seen it if he had just studied it himself. So, Teaching, revelation, different kinds of speaking. Is there anything we missed? The next, we're not going to keep going because it gets confused, but those of you who read one sentence ahead, you saw this, the women should keep silent in the churches. I'm just going to pause there for a minute, and I'm going to liken that to what I just said. Uh, in the ancient world of Paul's time, women were not typically allowed to be educated. So I think what Paul is saying is like, women of course can prophesy, they can share revelation, they can do all these things, but in our particular context, they're not educated, so they're probably not going to be able to teach because they wouldn't have that kind of knowledge. That's, that's just a cultural thing for Paul's time. If women at that time were able to study and were allowed to listen to the to go under a rabbi and study under them for all this time. I think it's clear from how much Paul did ministry with women. He'd be like, of course. I mean, and you actually see him do that. It's probably Phoebe is the one that he most likely entrusted, a deacon of the church. Phoebe's probably the one he entrusted with the book of Romans, which means that Phoebe would have delivered Romans and then said, all right, I'm going to read it to you. 
If you have any questions, ask me. I'll explain what Paul really means. <laughs> Which means that Phoebe, in that case, like she was teaching. Um, but yeah, if you if you read ahead a sentence and you got confused, I'm just I'm feeling that there's some cultural context here that we're we're missing here. Because based on the way that Paul works with women everywhere else, it's clear that they serve all the way up to the level of apostles in the church. And nothing's higher than an apostle in the church. If women can be apostles, they can be everything else. <laughs> uh, the question in Paul's context would be, should they be teaching if they haven't, if our culture hasn't let them be educated? So this is not a problem that we run into here at 1208. This was a cultural problem of his time. Uh, okay, any final questions or things we missed? Otherwise, we'll wrap it up. Okay. Jesus, I thank you that we have seen evidence of a lot of these things within our services. Um, it is easy to chisel church down. And I think we have done that to intentionally make sure that we do everything we're supposed to do. We have the commission piece with the kingdom ministry. We have the communion piece with our worship service. And we have the community piece with our, our breakfast time. And we're grateful for that. But we do want our worship piece there in the middle to, to encompass what Paul saw to exist in the biblical church, uh, which was a lot of love, a lot of upbuilding, a lot of edification. He also wanted it to be supernatural. In fact, people usually quote Paul here to say, do everything decently in order to get rid of the supernatural stuff. But Paul talks so much about the supernatural that it's like he was saying, look, when we get together, we do so much supernatural stuff. Let's just make sure that we have a reason when we're doing it so that it doesn't become chaos. So Jesus, help us. This is urban ministry. It gets chaotic. I can think back to a million chaotic things that happened during dinner church. People yelling at me as they walk out the door and I go up to preach. People getting in a fist fight over a romantic relationship. People who are um, have a restraining order against each other in the same room. So much chaos could come about, and yet we found a way to meet with you and find a sensible order. Um, Jesus, we don't want to diminish the worship service. That's our focus of on you, and you feed us well in that time. Um, and we pray that we are also feeding into you because you desire that relationship out of us. So help us grow us. Let us incorporate the things that we're looking to bring to it and uh, um, to not fall into just a standardized American church setting, but to open ourselves up to, to really kind of encompass what the 1 Corinthians 14 church looked like, which means we need your Holy Spirit. So, so come meet us not only at Reveal, but every week up until then and after. In Jesus' name. Amen. You are leaving being reminded ticket sales go up in three days and that you do not want to miss this event. It will be crucial in our story. Okay. We will see you all later.